This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Shalom and welcome to the Practical Spirituality course here at Asha Torah, overlooking the Temple Mount. And today's class is about forgiveness, and it's how to let go. And uh, it's funny that my wife's here today, which is interesting because she, she was just marveling the other day how we just kind of let things go. <laughs> Being from California. Like, everyone's got a clean slate all the time. You may remember that the guy ripped you off for a thousand bucks, but you're not going to treat him any differently as a result because you just move on, you know? Move on and, and kind of do that. Now, obviously, it has its pitfalls because if people know everyone moves on, so people aren't going to do the same level of, uh, what? Repentance. The people aren't going to, you know take as much responsibility if they know you're a move-on type of person. Uh, we've got a water issue here. and Oh, no, we don't. We're good. Um, can you send two cups over to this guy that he can uh, pour me two cups of water? Mama, you need some water? You good? Okay, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Amazing. Starting with a question. Yes. Yeah. It, it, the mind is kind of a one-way thing, you know. I mean, for example, here you're in a you're in Asia tour in a course that's teaching spirituality. Did you notice? Do you, I mean, you realize whatever I share today and whatever any other rabbi shares today is going to go in, and you can't get it out. Which means you're pretty courageous to even be here right now to like let all this in because. You know, there's no, we don't have an exit sign. I mean, look on the, look up at our exit sign. What is that, hieroglyphics or something? One way. It's one way. And it's pretty scary that it's one way because there's a lot of people that have seen things they wish they hadn't and <laughs> done things they wish they hadn't. So even though you've, you may still have a memory of something you've gone through, sadly, at the, at the hands of another human being, um, you, you may remember that, but you can still completely and totally forgive. There's another question that I thought you were going to ask was was when you've forgiven, does that mean you're, does that mean you don't have to be cautious with them anymore? And that's another thing. And of course, you can be cautious with somebody. Meaning, if you got ripped off by somebody who paid you back what they ripped you off with, and they like they did the full, you know, they owned it, and they took responsibility for it. Now do you got to lend them money. Next, they come to you again, they'll borrow money. You give, you don't give. And if you don't give, did you forgive? Did you really forgive them if you're not giving them money? But meanwhile, they're, this is exactly what they've transgressed. So, we have a Torah commandment 
that's to not hold a grudge. It's one of the 613 commandments to not hold a grudge. So it's not like, you know, I mean, holding a grudge is almost like natural. You can't not, I mean, raise your hand if you're a person in this room with no grudge on anybody on the planet. Raise your hand if you're that person. Okay, nobody. So, well, one of you. So that means everybody else, everybody else is simultaneously transgressing one of the Torah commandments. <laughs> Meaning you're already chewing on the pig fat, okay? <laughs> and there's nothing in your mouth, okay? You're, so you're like, you're like transgressing one of the commandments as we speak because you're not allowed to hold a grudge. That's, that's out. You must forgive them. Now, you don't have a commandment to forgive them. You just can't hold a grudge. So, so, you know, there's no commandment to forgive. But there is a commandment to let it go, which is pretty interesting. Pretty interesting. You would think there'd be a commandment to forgive. Mm-mm. You want to know why there's no commandment? Why isn't there a commandment to forgive? If you've got to let it go, so why not make the commandment to forgive? Positive commandment. No, it's a negative commandment. Thou shalt not hold a grudge. What's going on here? So the answer is that you can't necessarily have a commandment to forgive because someone has to ask forgiveness. And how how are how are you supposed to be commanded on forgiveness if they don't ask? And a lot of people do not ask forgiveness because asking forgiveness, real, I'm talking about the real deal. I'm not just saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, so sorry. You know, we had a button thing on a, with a recording that you could push it and it apologized in a million ways. You, know, every t- you ever seen that? You're pressing like, I think I found it in the airport. You know, I'm sorry. You know, my bad. You know, I'd like to take this opportunity to apologize. You know, every time you pressed it, it had another thing. Like, so I figured it would just be a lot easier. And when if I were to upset my wife or anything, I would just listen, honey. You know, so sorry. I'm sorry. Um. Anyway, the. It's a little hard to command people to forgive when there's no commandment to whether there may be a commandment to apologize because we do know in Torah that you do have to, you know, if you blow it, you got to do teshuva. So there is a commandment on others, but we cannot hold a grudge. So maybe you could say that you do have to forgive as that negative commandment of not holding a grudge. Now I'd like to say something about holding a grudge. You know what holding a grudge is? Holding a grudge having that uh, resentment that lasts for someone who wronged you. You know what that is? It's when you wish someone would die, but you drink the poison. It's when you wish somebody would die, but you drink the poison. Meaning, you're, uh, come on in, we got a family? No, family, family, great. Family time, let's uh, consolidate seats. Can you sit with this dude, please? Uh, or can you guys... Con- oh, you're consolidating there. That's interesting. Uh, you, Ellie, Mayor, are you willing to come up a little bit? Give some family space over there. Anyway, you should sit closer, I think. Be more engaging. You're the most engaged no matter where you sit, though, I've noticed. Some people, I try to put them up front, but you don't need to be up front. Necessarily. Thank you for your... Uh, indulging in that yeah so where are we at holding grudge holding a grudge we're talking about forgiveness you people who just walked in we said that when you hold a grudge it's when you wish someone would die 
but you drink the poison. Because whoever wronged you just goes on with their lives. They just move on. And it's so painful to see the way they move on because they, they just seem to be doing fine. But every time you think of them, see them, hear their name, or even meet someone else who has their name, you get re-reminded and you feel your blood poisoned with, poisoned with, with resentment. It's poisonous to the blood. You know, all this stuff actually goes into our bloodstream. Our emotions go straight to our bloodstream in, you know, pretty fast. You know, when you're feeling, um, when you're feeling fear, that's, that's hitting your bloodstream. That's going right into the bloodstream. And when you're feeling resentment, it's going right to the bloodstream. Why do you think people will have, uh, for example, acid reflux when they're going through a crisis? They'll have acid reflux, meaning they're the sphincter that normally keeps the food down from the, from the uh, what do you call the eustachian tube, or is that the air? What do you call that thing? Esophagus. Yeah, the esophagus. You have a muscle that keeps stuff, it lets stuff through, but not back up. People who are in crisis will often have a loosening of that muscle. And they, uh, and they will, um, hey, there's a spot right here. Sit here, sit here. Close to the rabbi. Oh. <laughs> we have another seat if you're in trouble. It's over there. Yeah, you're not in trouble yet. And so today is all about forgiveness. And what you'll find with forgiveness is something very beautiful. And that is that when you forgive someone, it's when you let someone out of jail. Only to realize that person was you. And so forgiveness is really important. And it also cleans up your life. Gets your blood clear of the chemicals of resentment that go into the blood. The poisons of resentment. It's uh, it's really a great place to be. And also what's amazing about it is you start to trust again. <laughs> Meaning when you really forgive someone, you start to trust again. Because so, when you don't trust... Your life's like, um, I don't know if the word squelch means anything to you, but it's like your life is squelched. Someone squelched your life. Your expansiveness gets less when you don't trust. So just a funny story is um, I've learned a lot about trust over the years just because I'm, in, I'm involved in rehabilitation. Uh, for example, I help rehabilitate Jews from secular lifestyles to observant lifestyles. And I also rehabilitate trauma victims sometimes. And, and I deal with a lot of people with all kinds of emotional and uh, mental ailments. And the, uh, I, I work a lot in rehabilitation. But when it comes to uh, someone who's lost trust of society, starting with family, friends, eventually society, police... Um, the way you get them back is trust. You get them back via trust. And I'll share with you two stories. Um, one is uh, one is that I, I I worked very hard on trusting people, and I lost a lot of money in the process. Uh, but but what I did was I made this this mathematical equation, this financial equation that, and I'd ask you guys like, what would you pay? Obviously, I'm speaking to someone with a job. Someone have a job here? I know there's Israel. Sometimes people don't have jobs. Raise your hand if you have a job. Okay, there's only two people with jobs. What would you What would you pay 
What would you pay for an insurance policy that's magical? You pay, you know, you got to pay God or something. <laughs> you got to pay an angel or something. But you get to trust implicitly everybody you meet. Like you, you get to trust everybody and you will not get harmed. You have an insurance policy. What would you pay for that? So that, you know what that means? That means you just get to let your hair down. You get to just chill out. You can leave your stuff around. You can leave your iPhone on a cafe table. You can leave your car unlocked. You know, you're just completely safe. You can make business deals, risk money in business deals without even signing. You know, like, like you don't even have to sign. They're like, okay, you know, the lawyers are meeting, you know, for signatures and everything. And, and you're like, man, skip it. I trust you. I trust you. How would you, what would you pay for that? What would you pay for that? You work? Yes. What do you do? Real estate. Real estate. Okay, that's a major thing where there's not a lot of trust. There's a lot of lawyers. Yeah. Okay? No trusting. No trusting. Okay. So what would you pay? I can't imagine it. Just imagine it. I can't. It's like... Imagine it. Not to trust anybody. You're going to trust everybody. And you're and you've already and and, and you gave God a certain amount. Nothing. No paranoia. You don't have to be. Right. I can't. I just. I can't quantify that. Hundred bucks. You don't need lawyers. Yeah. Two hundred bucks. It saves a lot of a lot of everything. Thousand bucks. What would you pay? What would you pay, bro? To totally relax. I would pay like. Three thousand. I, I, I would pay more. I would pay more. I don't know. If I could rely on my contractor and rely on, rely on everybody. Okay. Anyone else got an amount? Throw it out. What? A couple grand. What would you pay? No, don't be ridiculous. Fifty thousand. It has to be. It has to be less than you're paying. Oh yeah, that's true. Okay, so it could be equal or even more than what you're already paying. Anyway, so this is what I did. This is what I did was I I um, I let all my stuff go. Like I just let everything go. And um, and what happened was people walked off with my stuff. And <laughs> but the price I put on it was eight hundred bucks. Eight hundred bucks a year. Eight hundred bucks a year. So what happened was I did the math year after year. This is while I was, you know, living in Santa Barbara in a beach house, and with all my roommates. It was a crack up place to live, and we had a lot of fun together. And I let my stuff go. And so what happened was we did the math each year, and one year it came out like four hundred dollars. One year it came out like three fifty. One year it came out like six hundred. One year. Every year they would say, we did the math, this is how much money you lost. You know, so they'd say it was $500. I'd say, well, that was a savings of 300 I saved 300 because I trusted everyone implicitly and I had the most amazing year. And the relationships I made and money I made, which I was way more than 800 just from trusting people where people, like meaning, when you, the trust goes a long way when you're dealing with people and when you're talking money and stuff. You so, I, I lost. Can gain, can, I lost. I lost in actual physical possessions. Let's say five hundred dollars worth of stuff. You didn't put much out there. Yeah, yeah but you I, put whatever you had out there. I don't know how much you had. You I did, but uh, what happened was each year I lost less. 
And then eventually I stopped losing. And I didn't, I did not change a thing. I didn't get more careful. I practiced trust and I practiced and I practiced and I lost and then I lost less and then I lost less and then I lost less. And now those of you, and there's no one here who knows me that well, but like even this year I've lost a few things. Some, I, there are definitely people in the live feed that, cause I have mentioned a few things like a really good guitar and, and, uh, and you know, my phone disappeared one day and, uh, we'll never forget that day. And, and Anyway, but my, I always told the class, I said, but I never lose anything, so it's just missing. And it will get back to me, eventually. And I do very little, very little to get it back. Just little bits here and there, maybe a group email to, like, let's say I feel like I lost it in this building. I might send an email to the staff of the building. Things like that. Anyway, so you ready for this? I stopped losing things 27 years ago. And it's not just that. I've been in all kinds of deals with people. I mean, I mean, I'm running a home with, and I'm running a business, and I'm doing a lot of stuff. I've been doing all kinds of deals and all, all kinds of. I have an international company and personal growth seminars. You've put out a lot, like you put out a lot of capital that people could walk off with. Not necessarily. No, it's not that kind of business. But I'm interacting with. I'm saying the risk is low. Like you don't have much to lose because you're not. You're not. Exposing that with vulnerabilities. Right, Ellie Mayer. Like, the same thing. Someone would take a house, and that's a lot of money. Ellie Mayer, when I was talking about no lawyers, it's really important to note something. I was just trying to get his mind around trust. If I were selling or buying a house, I'd be using lawyers. You understand? So you haven't gone completely off the deep end. What's that? You haven't gone completely <laughs> off the deep end. Yeah, I'm normal, man. I'm normal. <laughs> I wouldn't. I do lock it now. Once you made it ever so clear that it's important <laughs> to you, you know. But for me, locking the house at night is not. Far, I would never lock the house at night. Like, I wouldn't really even lock the house going out of town. But the because no one touches my stuff, and my stuff's in the house, including my family. <laughs> Anyway, the points like this. Don't worry about my own personal life. Let me give you a, let me give you an, let me give you another example that did include major money. Okay, um, I got a call from my bank manager asking me to please put fourteen thousand shekels in the bank in uh, by noon or whatever. This is when I used to teach this class at ten a.m. And uh, I'm going to fast forward many years from the story where I was walking with my wife. We were on a date in Sfat. Today we're on a date also. And uh, we we're on a date in Sfat. And uh, this guy, this long, like tall, blonde, pious, clearly convert to Judaism guy. I mean, he looked like he was from Norway. He shows up. He walks up to my wife and I, interrupts us for a moment. He just says, I want to tell you that you saved my life looking at me. I want to tell you, you save my life. I'm like, I save your life? <laughs> Who the hell are you, man? <laughs> I never seen you in my life. And and, the, and this guy, I mean, he was really kind of guy you'd remember, you know. He's six foot something, you know, big blonde Nordic Hasidic Jew, you know, like not someone you'd forget. So I'm like, I never seen you before. And he says, yes, you have. And I said, what was it? And he said that he had decided to commit suicide some 15 plus years ago. And 
um, he, the, he went to talk to like Father Sarducci at his church or whatever at Salem, telling him he's going to commit suicide. And Father Sarducci said that you should go to Israel, go to Bethlehem, you know, do a couple crisscross applesauce, three, say three Hail Marys, and call me in the morning. And, uh, you know, and, and see, see, you know, see if you can, like, get over this. I don't know what he, but, he, but the guy did it. He flew it. He wasn't, a, he wasn't, you know, like, he, he, he was going to kill himself, but he gave Father Saducci the, the benefit of the doubt, flew to Israel, went to Bethlehem. Now, obviously, nothing happened in Bethlehem. <laughs> so he decided that's it. He's going to take his life. Comes back to, you know, you got to get through Jerusalem to get back to, you know, the airport. I don't know why he needs an airport. It's not like people can't kill themselves in Israel. But uh, <laughs> he's got to fly back. I guess maybe I wanted to cut, close his, uh, what do you call it? Finish your affairs. Something your affairs. Settle your affairs. No, there's a term for it. Settle your affairs, which is only fair when you're going to commit suicide. And uh, uh, by the way, Jews don't commit suicide, in case you're wondering, because uh, there's, we live in parallel universe. I'm not giving you guys any Kabbalah classes lately. I don't know why. But we, there's parallel worlds. And there's, a, there's worlds that look just like our world that you're actually in, that look just like this classroom. In fact, it's going on simultaneously. But you're on the bottom world, so you don't see that world. You see this world, which is fine. There's not a world under ours, by the way. This is the bottom of the barrel, and this is the end. And there, but there's parallel worlds. So you, what happens is, uh, first of all, why there are parallel worlds is because, think about it, God has to create the world from light. Light becomes matter. Okay, You know, physics, like light energy becomes matter. Well, God creates the world from this infinite light, which becomes matter. Well, light doesn't just become matter. It, it goes through gradations of a giant filtering process called olamos, otherwise known as worlds. And those worlds eventually weave their way into our world, but the worlds right above ours look just like ours, though you can't see them. And the punishment for taking your life early is you get stuck in the world right above ours, which is called the kafakela. It's called the kafakela. It's supposed to be an onomatopoeia of a, of a pebble in a can just shaking around, meaning you're just kind of shooting around the world, this world, and you never get out. There's no way out. I mean, there, there are a couple ways out, but that would be going into a whole Kabbalah class how to get out. But they can't get themselves out. Let's just say that. I mean, they can be gotten out, which is really cool because there was a movie called What Dreams May Come, Check out this movie. It's probably free on YouTube at this point. It wasn't exactly a greatest hits movie anyway. But it was called What Dreams May Come. And it was, it, was this, it was exactly what I'm saying, which is bizarre. I don't know how they studied this. And a guy who loved his wife, who committed, whose wife committed suicide, went back to find her in the Kafakela because he, he got entry into the Kafakela. It was a cool movie. And he goes with his love and, and like extracts his wife from the Kafakela I guess, I don't think he got to get her back here, but at least got her out of there into the world of souls, which we are not discussing right now, which is a higher parallel world. And uh, anyway, but we've done a lot, a lot of this work in this classroom, actually, with great detail, detail to the point of, like, you'd be pretty shocked. You'd think you're in a physics class. Now, um, anyway, but someone who takes their life, the one thing, you have a lot of choices, and you can do whatever the hell you want in this life. The one thing you cannot do is choose when you leave. You're not allowed to choose when you leave, and someone who chooses when they leave never leaves. You get that? you got to stay in for the long haul. Anyone who chooses when they leave never leaves. That's the punishment. You know, we have one rule in this world. I mean, besides all the Torah rules. But the Torah rules, you know, you deal with it. You know, That's your free will game, and you got to play that game. But the one thing you're just not allowed to do, no matter what, is leave early. You're not allowed to leave the world early.
And anyone who leaves the world early goes to the Kafa Kela. And you should know, Kafa Kela is still in this world, meaning there, I personally think people are here right now in our classroom. I just feel that way. I've noticed that people who are like halfway out of this world tend to hang around me anyway. You know those types that are kind of one foot out the door? You know, you can already smell them. So they are attracted to me like flypaper. They don't have a long life expectancy either. I could take you on a tour of their graves. Um, but they're usually extremely exciting to be their rabbi for the few years that their great shooting star flame you know, burns. It's pretty wild ride. We're almost on forgiveness then. Right now we're on trust. So the guy comes back to Jerusalem, somehow winds up in the old city, somehow gets sucked into this classroom. I finished teaching the class. I didn't notice the guy. It was a packed class. I didn't notice the guy. I'm on my way out of the class. And um, on my way out of the class, I... I see. Please remind me at the end, we raised money for a family for Shabbos. And Rabbi Weber comes to collect the money. Okay, this class, this class feeds a family for Shabbos. So if you got some change, it helps buy drinks. If you got something that folds, fish and meat. Okay, and it's not a very big class today, so please be extra generous. And last week I forgot. <laughs> we went out there. Rabbi Weber was like, "No," and I'm like, "No, I forgot," <laughs> which is like not good. Uh, oh, but I found a, a, I found an envelope that someone who online heard that I distributed to this family handed me an envelope, and I found the envelope, and it was a hundred bucks, which was good. Folds. Now, the um, the guys in the class, the guys in the class, and I finished the class. This was I used to teach her at ten a.m., so it's eleven a.m. Now I got to get that money in by twelve, except I have another class at eleven in the main building. So I'm like, what am I going to do? So I look at the classroom, and it's full of nice Jewish people. We're all learning. There was one Gentile. I have strong Judar, by the way. So I was basically looking for a Gentile. So I found this big, tall, blonde guy. And uh, this tall, blonde guy, why was he killing himself? Because he had lost all trust in the world. He had started by getting thrown out of his own house. Eventually, you know, like, he just wound up on the streets because he didn't trust anyone, wound up in jail, because when you lose all trust, you're eventually doing the wrong things. He'd been in jail. This was all his loss of trust life. Anyway, at the end of the class, I went up to the one person who doesn't have a commandment to study Torah, because all of us are commanded to study Torah. He was the one person who was not. So I felt no guilt in asking him to please take this 14,000 shekels cash, cross the city. I told him where my bank is, and on King George Street, Bank of Pauline was our old bank, and please deposit this money, and I wrote down my account number. Thank you very much. And so the guy walks across Jerusalem, and he's on his way to kill himself. He's walking across Jerusalem, and he's like, somebody trusted me. Someone trusts me. Took it as a sign from God. Many signs. One is that he's trustworthy, and he's able to live, and he obviously deposited the money in the account. And uh, I didn't even check, by the way. (laughs) I figured if the bank manager didn't call me back, it must have gone in. And, uh, which he didn't. And, uh, and then he, uh, whatever, I guess, I, I didn't get to ask because I was on a date with my wife. I didn't even get his number. I Meaning that was it. And he said thank you and walked off into the spot air. And there's a lot of that. So, <laughs> and my wife and I just kind of walked on going like, whoa, amazing. 
So anyway, trust is awesome stuff. It's awesome stuff. And you know what? Who's more likely to get screwed? Someone who trusts or does distrust? Which one? Who's more, who's more likely to get bullied? A kid who was already bullied and now, you know, he's on a family trip. He's playing on a playground. There happens to be a bully on that playground. There's another 30 kids. Who's the most likely kid to get bullied? The kid who's been bullied. Tell me, uh, uh, in, Sometimes in, getting bullied, though, makes you, like, I don't know, like, react specifically to, like, try to, like, shut a phone guard. You know what I mean? People overcome There, it. There can be that kind of effect, but they'll still get bullied until, and then have to show their wares. The, um... The, a better example is in the U.S. There's a rate uh, of, uh, God forbid, of, uh, of a uh, rape, I don't know what you call it, sexual attack, what do you call it? Sexual assault. Uh, the, the sexual assault rate for the USA, which is probably, not, these probably aren't areas where most Jews live, but is uh, 1%. Now, if someone is sexually harassed, what should be their new percentage? that person's new percentage. It should be zero, minus zero. Because, you know, they're not 1% of America and it's already happened. So it should be minus zero. Do you know what the rate is? Well, you can Google it later. It's not so clear exactly, but I, I've seen numbers as much as 40% increase in chance of a sexual assault for someone who's had this happen. Now, you th- we fool ourselves into thinking that lack of trust is protecting us. It's the opposite. Your lack of trust is, it's saying another more subtle word, and that is that, is, well, the real subtle word is rip me off, basically, but, but it's saying a more subtle thing, and that is victim. It's saying victim, and that's what bullies are saying, and that's what victims of sexual assault are saying. And it's, it's, the word is victim, and I myself would never victimize a person besides some guy walking out of my room to answer a phone call, but in generally, in general, I would never victimize someone like in a serious way I would never victimize somebody but I have been dragged into victimizing somebody and I've stopped myself right before I victimized him and said you're not going to do that to me he says I'm not going to do what to you like I'm not going to start abusing you like abusing me yeah I'm not going to verbally abuse you he's like what are you talking about rabbi and then we got into it. That was the first 10 minutes. We sat for an hour. Then we got into it. He started to realize that everybody verbally abuses him. And he was going to suck me into that game, too. And I'm not going there. No way. I didn't come here for that. I'm, I, I own the website, IamACofLove.com. Okay, that's my website. I'm a IamACofLove.com. That's where all my videos on Facebook are, by the way. I'm a IamACofLove.com. So, the... So what happens is that the more you distrust, the more ripped off you get. And, uh, you know, like uh, we used to keep a stroller in front of our house for years and years and years and years and years and years. That was in charge of, uh, we would throw our garbage out on this baby stroller and, or go to the shook and shop with it or whatever. This guy walked up to me and wanted to go upstairs above our house to pray. And he's like, do you mind if I put my stroller in your house while I pray upstairs? I'm like... Stroller parking's out here, bro. That's my stroller. You can put it right next to it. And he's like, no, no, it'll get ripped off. And I'm like, I promise you it will not get ripped off. Like, you can put your stroller here for 20 years. It's not going to get ripped off. He's like, Rabbi, I live up a narrow staircase in the middle of nowhere. I thought I could keep it outside my door. But it was gone the next day. I went shook shopping. 
I had all my produce for Shabbos on it. I went into a store just to get one last cucumber. I come back, the whole, everything's gone. If I don't put it in your house, it will be stolen. I said, I think you got a point. Put it in the house. So, when we forgive, one second, let me go to, I'm segueing. When we forgive, there's this whole other element that happens, and it's called trust. Because when you hold that grudge, think about it. You're digitizing humanity for the next perpetrator. It's not just who caused you harm. It's the next one, too. Meaning you have, like, digitized the world to, like, watch vigilantly for the next perpetrator. And, and this is a real thing. I know about this because I was held up at gunpoint. And, you know, but in execution style, I'm the first victim that was not killed by this gang of guys. There was two other, it was three guys with guns and us three. And uh, we were on the ground execution style. We're the first people they didn't kill in a month. Police have been following these guys, meaning chasing, trying to get them. And we're the first they didn't get killed. And it was only because a car drove by. It was a dark alley and a car like drove by. And they freaked and ran right when we had the guns to our heads, hands and knees on the ground. Now, for the next several days, every time I pulled up to a red light and a car pulled up next to me, this was in L.A., every time a car pulled up to me at a red light, I mean, I'd get to a red light, and then a car would pull up, and then I would drive through the red light. Why? Because obviously the guy pulling up next to me at the red light is going to kill me. He's going to shoot me. And, I, I mean, and can you think of anything more dangerous than driving through red lights every time? Like, I was literally driving through every intersection that was red. I would stop first, check things out, see if it was clear, and then just, boom, and drive across. I wasn't doing it at day, because day I could at least check the guy out. But at night, forget about it. I was driving through red lights. And, and um, it's not an intellectual reality. It's just that once you've been harmed, you're watching for that harm. But it's not just that, you're attracting it. You're, you're watching for it and you're attracting it. Which is pretty freaky if you're single. <laughs> now, watching for it may be okay, but attracting it could be dangerous, you know, if you're single. Meaning, uh, you know, you want to be careful what you attract into your life for marriage. And, uh, what? How do you attract it? It's totally unconscious. Totally unconscious. Like me getting... Which un kind of trouble? What? Which kind of trouble? Trouble? You said you attract trouble if you're looking for it. So, like, which kind? Whatever it is you're looking for. Whatever you're looking for. Like, for example, I know some people, they get ripped off in business over and over and over and over again. It's ridiculous. Like, they just keep... And, and you would say his issue is trust. But, meaning he was trusting too much. But that wasn't his issue. That issue, his issue was that he's just got ripped me off, written all over his forehead. And it's a, not, it's a very unconscious thing that he just keeps getting screwed. And it, and, and it never goes away. You know, it's amazing how long I've known this guy. He's a student of mine, but I've known him for like, I don't even know how long. Uh, how long have we known? Just kidding. <laughs> I hope she doesn't even know who I'm talking about. Why would they I, I, could, I could answer you in incredible detail, just not with the time allotted for us. Now, here goes forgiveness. Forgiveness is spitting out the poison of resentment, getting rid of all that so you can trust once again. You want to spit out the poison of resentment. And 
give that gift. Now, what's the gift? It, we call it the gift of forgiveness. Why is it called a gift? The reason it's called a gift is because they didn't ask forgiveness. <laughs> we don't even remember where... We wouldn't even know how to find half these people if we wanted to. So, normally, forgiveness is not a gift. It's earned. Someone asks for forgiveness and you pay them forgiveness. You, meaning you don't pay them. You return forgiveness for their having put their tail between their legs and begged forgiveness. So you forgive them because they've humbled themselves and they've owned it. And now you forgive them. But then, what about all the people who are, are not asking for forgiveness? Which is most people. And so what you do is you give what's called the gift of forgiveness. The gift of forgiveness is when you forgive without them asking. Why? Because you got poison in you. It's poisoning you, and we already discussed in all the ways that it poisons you. But most specifically is you don't trust. And secondly is you're, you're, you got that secondary kind of thing where you're attracting more into, the, into your life. Now, you might say to me, Rabbi, like, why would I give the gift of forgiveness? This guy wronged me. Or this person wronged me. Why would I give the gift of forgiveness? And the answer is, the answer is, because they're innocent. They are innocent. Whoever wronged you is innocent. And you're looking at me like, Rabbi, they're not innocent. I mean, if I could have showed you a video, you would definitely witness what took place. This is not innocence. And my answer to you is, yes, they are innocent. I mean, they may belong behind bars, but they're innocent. How can I prove to you they're innocent? Because if you were right now watching a movie, and this curtain opens, I know they don't have curtains anymore, but the curtain opens, and there's a little baby, and all the girls in the, in the theater say, oh, and all the men in the theater are like, that's the popcorn. And, and then the baby's growing up, and they're playing, they just have a way to play the right music, you know, and they get you in love with the character, because that's the main character of the movie, so everyone falls in love with the character, so you're smitten with this character. Everyone's loving the character. You're all watching this character. And then immediately they usually, in biographical movies, which is almost every single movie, I mean, even Superman's really biographical. If you think he's from another planet, kind of orphaned onto Earth, you know, you're following the story, you know. So you're following a story, and they're usually biographical. What they do is they bring up a trauma. Something goes wrong. In this case, Superman's orphaned on Earth. But something goes wrong. The parents die in a car crash. Now he's orphaned. Or, or, the, uh, or there's an abuse, a terrible abuse of any kind, verbal, sexual, physical. Or there's a fire or whatever. Terrible fire. Something happens. And there you are watching this child going through this hell. They're going through, you know, kind of their own personal little holocaust they're going through. Some movies are pretty hardcore, what they'll show the kid going through. And, uh, but they're going through their little hell there. And you start crying because you're watching and you're just starting to cry because you've already fought. They got you in love with the kid and now you're dealing with the trauma part. And you're hurting for that child. You want to hold that child. You want to help that child. You want to see that child be well. And in fact, you're going to sit there for another two hours, which is ridiculous because it's so darn predictable you know the next two hours but you're going to be in there why because you're looking for the victory you want to see the breakthrough you want to see the kid find out who you believed he was at the beginning you want to see her somehow break out of her shell and be the person she was at the beginning of the movie when you were in love with her the little toddler by the way i'm 
almost literally explaining my seminar work that that for English speakers starts in two weeks or something. So check out that work. Anyway, but you'll sit in that movie, you'll wait for the breakthrough. And then what happens is while you're watching the kid develop, now they're a teenager because they want to speed it up. They want to speed up the movie to get to the adult situations where they kind of play out the same story, but in adult interaction. They're going to play it out. And the reason they do this in movies is because they know we, um, we uh, resonate because we're also playing out a movie. We're all stuck in our own flick. Right? We're all inside some movie that we're in based on our own trauma. And that's why we relate the way we do to people. And that's why we have the amount of money we have. And that's why our health is the way it is. It's all, we're all, we're all just playing out some story. And I was being kind by not calling it stupid, but we're all part of us. We're all inside a story until you decide you're going to stop playing that role. But we've all been playing roles in stories anyway. But as you're watching the movie and you see the kid developing in adolescence, you start to realize that's the perpetrator. That's the one who harmed me. Whether it was in business, in a relationship, physically, whatever, verbally. That's the one who harmed me. At which point you tell your date in the movie theater, you're like, can we go, please? What do you mean, can we go, please? Like, we just got here. Like, the movie's finally fast-forwarding to the adult story play. You know, the play. I want to leave now. Because somehow I tricked you into being in love with the person who harmed you. Because the famous line which you might have heard is, hurt people hurt people. Hurt people hurt people. And there's another line that people wound where they're wounded. It's not just that hurt people hurt people. There's a lot of ways to hurt people. People generally hurt people or wound people the way where they were wounded. People tend to do that. And so who you're looking at is a victim, not the perpetrator. You're looking at, I mean, they were the perpetrator for you, but they were the victim of someone else. And they're just acting out this unconscious story, which anyway, everyone's sitting in this room right now, with perhaps the exception of my wife or anyone else who's done personal transformation work, is also stuck in some totally unconscious story. Everybody's stuck in unconscious stories. And you want to know something? My wife and I, oh, we have another graduate over there. Uh, <laughs> maybe maybe Yoeli's not, but the truth is, is Yoeli, me, and my wife are stuck in a more subtle story. Because as far as we've found, if you just keep pulling back the layers, you find you're in other unconscious stories. Meaning maybe we've gotten rid of some of the thicker ones, but there's some nice thin ones that we're dealing with now. Things that are triggering us right back to the beginning. And so we're all stuck in stories. And so the, Baruch uh, Hashem, we have tools to, you know, at this point, to peel them back and cry out, cry out some stuff. You've got to cry it out a bit, which I've discussed in here in a lot of detail, a lot of crying stuff lately because of the three weeks we spoke a bit. So one sec. So what I said was the way you give the gift of forgiveness is by seeing their innocence. You have to see their innocence. So you say, they're not innocent. Well, yes, they are. Yes, they had free will, but they're stuck in some unconscious story, this person. This person is the victim, not necessarily your victim, but they're the victim of some other thing. Now, do we still put them behind bars? Yes. You know, I was brought into a, uh, a horrible 
situation where there was major abuse. And uh, I was able to be helpful in helping some people get behind bars where they belonged. Um, anyway, but at the end, I had to deal with some of the abusers. And I remember having a beer later with a friend. And he was like, don't you want to kill those people? Hey, let's kill them. And I was like, no, I do not want to kill them. I would like to see them behind bars so people are safe. You know, they, they need to be behind bars. Um, but no, killing them I do not want to do because I just got through meeting with some of the most horrible victims I've ever been with. Why would I want to kill victims? I'd like to see them rehabilitated. Now, of course, jail is the last place anyone's getting rehabilitated, but Which never... What's that? That was whose issue? Shimi. When we had seven yeah, yeah. he Shimi brought that up as an issue that prisons are not rehabilitated. Right, right, right. That was what bothers him. And uh, and I mentioned my screenplay without divulging any details. Wait, what about people like psychopaths or people that are just born evil? You don't believe they exist? Of course. Well, we all are that person. All of us have that malevolence inside of us, but uh, there are people who have not been very good at controlling it. <laughs> you know, we all have a little evil in us, you know. We all are capable of, of terrible things. You know, like, uh, I mean, we may be a little better, this group, but, you know, who says, who says if, if Hitler did what he did in America today? Who says he wouldn't got, have gotten their cooperation? While every American would like to say, you know, never forget, and never again, and yeah, well, we all have some malevolence inside and can get swept up into evil things. Yeah, but what's your question, though? You said everyone who hurts someone else is because they themselves got hurt, particularly in that type of way. But you don't believe that someone could be just a psychopath when you're seeing other people suffer, and he's never suffered the thing himself? It's, I think it's rare statistically to have such a... Such a uh, a person like that, and there, there are a lot of them in the news in the last couple of decades, uh, people like that, you know, shooting up things, and there was another one this week in Toronto. All with that yeah, there's, but there's usually, there's usually something, something's really wrong there, you know, something's yeah, really wrong. because they got hurt, just because their brain chemistry is off. Oh, you're talking about that, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> That's what you meant by psychopath. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, of course that exists, of course. That's, but that's not our discussion. We're, I don't think any of us were victims of psychopaths here. Uh, I hope you weren't, anyway. Yes? Why, when some people get hurt, you don't necessarily go out looking for someone else to get to hurt, and some people, like, what's the difference between someone who gets hurt and then perpetuates that versus there are plenty of people who people do things to them and they don't go and perpetuate that? That's what I was saying before is consciousness. There are people who get conscious of it and go on to heal, and there's, uh, but most people stay unconscious of it. And what they do is, we spoke about this yesterday, is they create, or the day before, we create a, <laughs> a worldview around that dysfunctional event and then, and then just perpetuate it. And we, we'll, we'll somehow create a narrative around it that makes it normal rather than see it for the bad it, that it was and heal it, we'll, we'll create a narrative around but it. That's not always unconscious. Sometimes people just are not willing to admit the wrong, so they'll make up the weirdest things. It's not, it's not always unconscious that they're constructing worldviews. I, I believe that narrative can be very active. I agree with you. The narrative is not necessarily unconscious. Uh, yes? Can you try to answer a little bit the question before about like, what like subconscious like, reattraction of that same thing? Like where that comes from? 
I know the question. I I'd actually I told him that that to get into its details would be require. Yeah, it'd require a lot. I don't mind you. We could start with that Sunday if you want. Come on, all week next week. Maybe it's because people are scared of where they're vulnerable. So if you show that you're scared there, you show that you're vulnerable there. I'll give you the I'll give you a quick version though. The cliff note version is that um, we don't believe we exist. You know, really, meaning uh, Jews are, our belief is coming from Kabbalah, and in the physics, people believe it's, you know, we're all just made of digital protons, neutrons, and electrons, you know, that are just moving around, and meaning this whole thing is just wave patterns, that's all there is. My voice is certainly wave patterns, and your sight is, you know, you're, my, I'm not speaking English right now, this is, this is just math, crossing a room in wave patterns. So that's all there really is, and and um, but you yourself have wave patterns. Everything's made of this stuff. Everything's made of vibrational frequency. There's nothing but vibrational frequency in this creation. But people have frequencies. Everything has frequencies. That's why we love the forest. And the desert has its frequency, and the forest has its frequency, and these are different places. We love water as one of the best frequencies of all. You know, that's something very soothing to humans, and in fact. Torah teaches us Kabbalistically that it actually will completely reset your system. That's what a mikvah is. It's just a certain frequency that water has. But not drawn water. It has to be rainwater or river or lake or ocean. It has to be directly sourced from the heavens. And it just resets your your system. And um, is it 4 o'clock yet? I'm just rambling on. It is? 420. Isn't Rabbi Ellis teaching you eventually? Um... Anyway, uh, is that God doesn't make mistakes. You've got to realize that as much as people have free will and you want to blame that person, okay, you know, I'll blame the person, but you were in harm's way, weren't you? You were in harm's way, and who's been orchestrating everything? I mean, how do you think you got to Israel right now? You think you chose? You know how many details got together for you to get here? You know how much was orchestration took place? Yeah, that's very nice that you chose to come here, but that was a small factor. An important factor, but a very small factor in all the orchestration of you even sitting in this classroom right now. So things are being extremely orchestrated, and you were orchestrated into harm's way with that particular person. So it's also, we need to realize that God doesn't make mistakes. And now this guy anyway is going to pay. He's going to pay upstairs, but he doesn't have to pay extra just of your grudge, because your grudge can hold him down bad. I had a guy... I had a guy with terrible grudge of his classmates, especially the main bullies that perpetrated a tremendous thing that was horrible when he was nine. So it turns out, this is many, many years ago. I mean, they're all in their 30s, mid-30s today. It's a society where everyone gets married. The men get married like max 22, meaning most men get married before 20 and then some until 22, but then they're done. Um, all the perpetrators are single today at 35 years old of the teasing and bullying of this one child. And he never forgave them. And they're, they're all single today. So, which is just, if you knew their community, you'd just say, like, this is like, it's bizarre. And they're exactly the guys. I Meaning it was a class of 30, and there were three guys who were the ringleaders who got this together, and that's what happened. Perhaps um, that's not because of his grudge, though. Perhaps that's because... Cut for uh, Stoka for this family. Shabbos. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.